0: Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. In this episode, we'll be talking about getting the meds right. The organization GTMRX has been around for the past year, and we've got one of their board members, Dr. Paul Grundy, who is a physician champion about this special topic of the importance of medication. Today, we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest, Dr. Paul Grundy, is known as the godfather of the patient-centered medical home movement. He spent the past four decades focused on population health and a healing relationship of trust with a primary care provider. Dr. Grundy currently serves as Chief Transformation Officer at Innovacer, and he serves as an adjunct professor at the University of California, San Francisco Department of Family and Community Medicine. University of Colorado School of Medicine, Department of Family and Community Medicine, and the University of Utah Department of Family and Preventive Medicine. Dr. Grundy is the founding president of the Patient-Centered Primary Care Collaborative, and he served in the Carter-Reagan, George H.W. Bush, and Clinton administrations, and is retired senior diplomat with the rank of minister consular in the U.S. State Department. He's a supporter of the organization, getting the medications or getting the meds right, and is the founding chairman for that. Dr. Grundy, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast.
1: Well, thank you very much, and I can't think of anything I would rather do uh, this morning in this time of really profound change than, than than talk to the pharmacist. You know what I have seen in the past two decades or more in the transformation of, of care delivery away from an episode of care to proactively managing a population with data um, is it, it's a team sport and, and the, the thing about a team sport is, is accessibility, which is one of the most important aspects of, a patient centered, which in patient is the third word of that first word of that uh, primary care. Um, and and the pharmacist is the most accessible, you know, member of the care delivery team. And, and my hat's off to you guys. Uh, I, I was just I was just in my my local pharmacy um, getting my second vaccination for shingles, um, and you're there and you're on the front lines and you're accessible. Thank God you're standing six feet back, um, mm-hmm. but. You know the role of the clinical pharmacist um, is going to be so important going forward, and, and 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 getting more important. You see, I think that the changes that we're going through right now are, are really accelerations of changes that were in place for for a number of years. I was just on the phone with a large system in Florida, and and they were they were doing uh, fifteen to twenty. Um, virtual care visits prior to this pandemic, and now they're up to forty five thousand or something like that. I it's just phenomenal in terms oh, of wow. the shift in care. Um, and and I think that I think that from my experience and seeing that that role of of one of the most important and powerful members of our care team. I think you know when you look at the power players on a chessboard, you know. Um, we need to figure out how to better utilize them and more effectively utilize them. Um, you know, the the concept of the patient center medical home, and I'm known as the godfather of that because I founded the organization that drove that uh, concept, um, but we got together uh, 47 of the Fortune 100 companies and insisted that the healthcare plans provided that level of care. And when and when one of them backed out, we took him to the New York Times woodshed, and we canceled our contracts with them. So in the New England Journal of Medicine, they wrote an article that week that said, Dr. Grinney may not be the father of this idea, but he is the godfather. Um, mm-hmm. So so the the concept of, of really pulling together in a broad coalition of, of primary care physicians, of clinicians, of nurse practitioners, of nurse educators, of behavioralists, of clinical pharmacists are really, really, really important at this period of time as we go into payment change, as we go into how we deliver care change. Um, the, go ahead.
0: Oh, yeah, certainly. Well, I'd love to hear more about um, your experience or, or how, you, how you came to that conclusion. Tell me about a little bit uh, about your background and how Uh, maybe some of your first interactions with pharmacists maybe working in one of these patient-centered medical homes and uh, how you you really recognize some of the value uh, and the services that uh, they bring.
1: Well, you know, in, in my role as the interface between health and foreign policy, I'm in a previous job in the State Department I really learned when I looked globally at, at care that was delivered of value. Um, one of the places that I had a chance to really interact with and understand what they were doing was Denmark. Um, and, and it's just phenomenal what they've done there. Everybody knows the name of their primary care physician, but but they also know the name of, of their pharmacist. Um, I mean, that is 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 you know, uh, an integrated team, um, and that's so powerful. I, I, was, <clears throat> I, was, uh, I was sitting with a patient uh, in a primary care practice in northern Jutland probably 20 years ago now, and a patient walked in and, and wanted to have a conversation about why he wasn't sleeping at night and get some sleeping medication. And so the doctor pulled up his, his electronic medical record, and he looked at it, and he said, "You're not sleeping at night because you're not breathing. Why aren't you taking your Why aren't you taking your 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 asthma medication?" And he knew to ask that question because you know the clinical pharmacist had advised the physician that that the guy wasn't taking his medicine, right? So there was there was a loop in there that that didn't exist twenty years ago in, in the United States, and and when I am mm-hmm. looking at you know how you build a team and how you build a medical home. It just was so clear to me that the clinical pharmacists were going to play an important role. If you look at the literature now, if you if you Google, if you Google any disease process, asthma or diabetes, and and you and you look at that in the light of the role the clinical pharmacist plays, it's just so important. I, I was a, I was a. Uh, at a at a at a medical home practice, probably way back in two thousand and eight, in Davis, California. And 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 what I saw so clearly was that the clinical pharmacist does a heck of a lot better job of medication management than we physicians do. So you know they had they had come to the understanding that the role of the primary care physician was two things difficult diagnostic dilemmas in relationships. Mm-hmm. and relationships and 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 everything else should be done by somebody else and by gosh you know the clinical pharmacist did the medication management in that practice and and with hypertension we saw just a phenomenal in, improvement in the level of care when a clinical pharmacist was brought in to support Hypertension management, which, which, by the way, is pretty complicated. In one of our early pilots around a medical home in in, in, in Hudson Valley, here where I live, you know, we really integrated clinical pharmacists. We integrated a, a management system where they got a little notification if they hadn't taken their chronic disease management, and, and we saw a you know we saw a twelve percent increase in the utilization of chronic disease medication. And we saw almost a 21% decrease in hospitalization. So we were really exchanging, you know, much tighter medication management supported by clinical pharmacists and and even the local pharmacists uh, in our community um, for hospital beds, which is a darn good exchange. That was also evident in the pilot they did with the chronic disease pilot they did early on in, in, in Pennsylvania, where, again, we saw the integration of care. At the University of Utah, where I've been on the faculty now for a decade and a half at least, about 14 years ago, we did something called Care by Design, where we redesigned primary care. And again, like the model in Davis and other places, we included a clinical pharmacist on the team. We took away the doctor's offices and we put, and we put everybody around a table where they could interact with each other on a, on a team-based model of care phenomenal shift in, in, in how care was delivered um, with much, much, much better results. And we integrated that into the practice of medicine. So I begin to think about the three elements that need to change as we drive this model. The first is, this, is the cultural change, the shift of somebody's mind away from the, the doctor as the master builder, away from the, the brain of the doctor being the, the data storage device, to to data being on paper and and accessible to everybody on the team that's managing that patient. That's probably the most difficult. The second element of that change is payment change. If you're going to ask, if you're going to ask for Mm -hmm. um, the system to stop focusing on episodes of care only and actually manage the population proactively with data, you need to pay them to do that and stop paying them to do an episode of care. You know, there's only one way to hurt a cat, and that's to move the food. And that process is happening, right? As we, And this is going to be accelerated, I think, with this current change that's going on. And the third is the data. It's getting at that source of truth at the point of care and the way you would get it at a Google Map and, and see exactly what you need to do. So great to have a pharmacist on the team, great to have behavioralists on the team and have them interface with each other. But Equally important, I think, is to have the ability for everybody to sing from the same sheet of music, i.e. the same source of truth, the same source of data. And that, you know, those are the things that we're working on. So what, what, at the University of Utah, when we redesigned how we delivered care, um, we redesigned how we taught care. And I'll never forget the uh, first time we we, we shifted uh, to a whole new model of teaching, we we took our first-year medical students and we put them, we made them medical assistants, taught them how to be medical assistants.
0: Speaking of education, are you aware of the 2014 Drug Disposal of Controlled Substances ruling that regards safe disposal of unused medications? Well, we're lucky to have RX Destroyer sponsoring the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. RX Destroyer ready to use chemical drug disposal systems are safe, easy, and affordable products which protect the environment and can save thousands in fines. To get more information on products, training, and medication waste compliance, check out slash talk to your pharmacist
1: along with a class of medical assistants and then their introduction to clinical medicine you know when i was a medical student it was four docs four medical students sitting there asking the patient their chief complaint for the beginning and and and, and through this transition of education it wasn't four docs anymore it was a, it was a it was a medical student learning to be a doc it was a nursing student learning to be a nurse it was a pharmacist learning to be a clinical pharmacist and it was a Behavioralist learning to be a behavioralist, right? So, from day one of medical school, day one of pharmacy school, they were learning that this is going to be a team sport.
0: Yeah, then- it's great to see more interdisciplinary ap- approaches um, and, yeah, having them even in the same classroom, not just rounding or with uh, on patients, but yeah, great example. So,
1: so. Those are some, some sort of early examples of, of what I've seen. We, I'd spent a lot of time working with the state of Ohio, with the governor of Ohio and the leadership there. Ted Winslow was the head of the health department. And, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the things that we did there was really look at, at diabetic management. Um, and, and in a published result, we saw just a tremendous improvement in the overall care, in the level of A1C, when you really engaged a team of folks, the doc was doing the difficult diagnostic dilemmas and relationships, the pharmacist was doing doing the medication management, the behavioralist, because every chronic disease has a behavioral element, was engaged. The nurse educator was doing her role. Um, you know, we began to really see tremendous improvement. Um and many of these studies have been published over the years now. So there's a bunch of stuff. You take any disease and you look at the role of pharmacy and you'll find that there are tons of studies out there showing just what value they have.
0: Yeah. Ohio has been one of the leaders uh, in the country on recognizing that. And I believe... Um, they passed uh, at the state level pharmacists as re- being recognized as a provider for care um, last year. And just this year, um, they were able to recognize them, I believe, either United Healthcare or one of the other large insurers and um, it, so it was, so I think we're fi- we're finally starting to see more um, of the big payers uh, recognizing pharmacists uh, at least at this at some of the state levels um, but it hasn't hasn't quite hit the national level yet so we really appreciate all of your your advocacy on that front
1: so so that brings us to the second point there's only one way to herd a cat and that's to move the food mm-hmm. um, you know what we saw in a couple of states when we were fighting this battle a few years ago, was that we began this concept of a medical home, we began paying for outcomes and not for procedures and episodes of care. And all of a sudden, the physician's practices were rewarded not for giving a vaccination, but for what percentage of their population was vaccinated, It changed the whole dynamics. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, nobody complained anymore about about the pharmacists giving the vaccination because they were adding to the value proposition of how the physicians got paid. I mean, I think that kind of thought process and collaboration is is really important if we're going to move ahead. Most of these battles, most of these issues around uh, around licensure, uh, around scope of practice, you know, they're battles over money. And you know, if, if you really look at the underpinning of that and ask yourself the question, how, how, do, how do we create a win-win scenario versus a win-lose scenario? Um, you know, and, and I think increasingly we're seeing that. I mean, I think right now, you know, physicians are about a, a, at least a third, maybe even a maybe even half of their payment is no longer a direct fee for service. It's about how well they manage their population. Boy, in that role, the clinical pharmacist and the pharmacist in the in the drugstore plays an important and a an hugely important role. Um it's just um, you know, when you think about um you know what they can deliver and how accessible they are. In in uh Vermont, um we we IBM at the time when I was there was the largest employer in Vermont, working with a guy named Governor Douglas and the health department. We got legislation passed uh, called a blueprint for health. And what we did in that role was we took two cents out of every sick care dollar, and we used that to fund the role of a community coordinator. So 11 communities in Vermont, they all have a not-for-profit in that community that's known as the community coordinator. They pull together all the resources at the community level. So all the not-for-profits, the churches, the, you know, the clinicians, et cetera. And and they kind of design a plan for providing care at the community level. And, you know, what what we saw was a 60% reduction in in our complications of our diabetes. You know, I'm sitting there with a, with a, um, uh, a young Anglican priest at one of the meetings that they had once a month of the whole community organization and she pipes up and says never again will we allow you know one of our citizens to suffer an amputation because you know we don't have a plan around them so so this community coordinator will take a newly diagnosed diabetic and, and bring him down to 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 the local drugstore and sit down with the pharmacist in the local drugstore and explain to both of them that, you know, this is your local pharmacist. He's going to work with a doc and he's going to work with our team to help make sure that you, that you have your questions answered around medication management. Um, you know, take him down to the, to the local hiking club, the diabetic hiking club with old rail trail and introduce them to get some exercise going. Take him to the local grocery store and do a walk around on Wednesday when they do a, I went up to St. Johnsbury to see this happen. You know where, where where they walk around, and, and the nu- and the nutritionist in the grocery store explains. You know how how to how to cook, how to eat um, when you've been diagnosed with diabetes. I mean, but you know, I mean that's... every one of those small community pharmacists, every one of the chains pharmacists, were, we're wrapped into that conversation. Um, yeah, I much-
0: I love that, and and you'll you you see so many. Uh, pharmacies offering diabetes education classes uh, and things like that for uh, members in their community. And just to bring up a point that you said earlier um, uh, about, you know, mm. how patients are taking their medicine, um, you know, you you hear stories all the time of uh, patients, uh, maybe their diabetes isn't improving. Well, if, if you talk with the pharmacist, you find out that Oh, well, maybe they haven't been picking it up or the patient might be you know, rationing their insulin or their medicine because they can't afford it and taking it every other day. So instead of continuing to increase the dose of their medicine, uh, you really need to, to ask some of those very baseline initial questions about how they're taking their medicine. And I think that's definitely an important role um, that the pharmacy brings in. Um, and they're, they're, they are just so accessible. I think about 90% of Americans live within five miles of a pharmacy. Um, so it's great to hear about ways that they are, um, involved in those population health models, uh, across the country. Um, how are, how are you, um, seeing, uh, or how would you envision that happening, um, if we were going to try to spread that similar concept across the country of, of more of that population health focus, I know that's part of your work at Innovacer. You're the chief transformation officer and are focused on population health. Um, how do you think that we get to that level of, of community-based um, uh, management, patient-based management um, across the
1: country? So I I sort of look at this, and the question I ask is, where do I start? Um, I think of this as a tipping point. Um, Where do I support places where they're already doing this, and how do I identify the early followers? So there's already examples, globally and certainly within the United States, where there is a much more integrated team-based model of care. Michigan is a wonderful example of that, for example. Um, you know, h- how do I support that? And, and I think that's part of the reason why, you know, we formed Get the Medication Right, um, just as we did with the patients in a medical home movement. H- how do we get a broad-based coalition um, to understand, to educate them around places that have already demonstrated tremendous value by having a much more integrated model of care? So that that requires that requires an understanding of legislation, of understanding of how you write legislation, of understanding how you lobby for legislation. Um, and, and it requires us really pulling together mm-hmm. the clinical pharmacy, pharmaceutical organizations, the primary care organizations, the buyers of care, the corporations that want better care for their employees. You know, when, when we when we go and. And sit with a senator or, or a member of Congress or a state legislature, and you have, you know, you have a national pharmacy association, you have a large hospital system, you have IBM, General Motors, um, and and you know, basically all sitting there saying, you know, we're here lobbying not because we want more money, but we want better care. Um, and in order to do that, we have to break down some of these barriers that are artificial. Again, we have to figure out how to change payment. Um, the example that I decided of of, of of people who normally just deliver episodes of pay of, of care and get paid for that i.e I do a vaccination and I'm paid for that to, my population is all vaccinated and therefore I'm rewarded for that no matter who gave the vaccination or no matter who dispensed, dispensed the information for, for diabetes is, is really important. One of the things that we learned uh, in behavioral economics and, you know, somebody just won the Nobel prize for that is that taking away something from somebody is much more stimulating than giving them something. So, You know, in in the Danish model where I've spent a lot of time working as a healthcare ambassador for Denmark, um, you know, we we have a little system where if you are dispensed chronic disease medication, and this is all integrated right into your pharmacy, um, you you have a little chirp um, that happens when you don't dispense it after a number and you can choose which bird you want to have your chirp on. But if you still don't dispense it, you'll get a little note that'll come through your, through this link with your pharmacist. It'll basically say, you know, that, (laughs) that, um, um, lottery, um, um, you know, that that you're part of that, that will be taken away from you if you don't take your medicine. Um, I mean, you know, really begin to think about how you, how you do virtual, virtual care, how you do communication now in modern, methods um and integrating that into into the role that the pharmacist plays, I think is going to be immensely important.
0: Yeah. And so in that in that model in Denmark, the medication bottles have a tracking device and, and that's how they're able to to track if patients are taking their medicine or not. Is that what you were saying?
1: That's exactly right. And that's technology that's 15 years old. You know, when you push yeah. the when you push the pill through the aluminum foil, it sets off a, a, a little. A, this particular case, a Bluetooth, because Bluetooth comes from Denmark, uh, uh, Wi Fi, whatever you call it, uh, notification, um, and the system knows that you've dispensed it. And if it you yeah, know, if you and it's know it's time it's, you haven't dispensed it, it knows you haven't dispensed it, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and there are so many different um, devices, uh, out there. Um, it, but I have seen a little bit slower adoption on that on the U S side. Um, again, not sure if that's just like, who's going to pay for it or what, but, um, it is interesting because a lot overseas medications are more of that blister pack, uh, type, but somehow in the U S we, Still have those, you know, amber vials um, that the pharmacist is counting and and dispensing. So um, it is it is interesting, and I think we've got to continue to to look at ways to better track adherence. I mean, there's you know, there's been a few uh, looking at at some of the digital pills um, that you know are actually tracking whether it's been ingested or not. Um, so. Lots of different ways, um, but certainly, uh, you know, making sure that we incentivize uh, or uh, motivate patients in the right way. Um, that's really helpful. And so, Dr. Grundy, um, with the Getting the Medications Right um, Institute, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about how that was founded and some of the, the key stakeholders uh, that are involved a- at this point?
1: Yeah, so so this was this was formed. Um, uh, Catherine Capps probably was was the person who who and and and, and Terry McGinnis got together. Um, and and as part of the patient in Primary Care Collaborative, they did a couple of papers on on the role of the pharmacist, um, and the role of pharmacist in adherence compliance, medication management, get the medication right. And it was just clear to us that in order for us to be effective, we needed a much more robust, integrated, broad-based coalition of, of like-minded folks to to, to drive awareness, uh, to create a platform for seminars and awareness and, and education, um, but also a platform to engage um our thought leaders and our and our legislators at at a state and federal level uh, to make them more aware of the important role that team based care um, with a focus on getting the medication right because I think that is the low hanging fruit that that is probably the single most and perhaps in many ways the easiest thing to do um, in 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 terms of, of change. And so, you know, we really pulled together thought leaders across the industry, um, pharmaceutical companies, uh, um, Mm -hmm. primary care systems, uh, pharmacy associations, pharmaceutical associations, you know, to to, to drive that concept of change. Um, Would love to have uh, your audience uh, look at, um, you know, the, the paper that we're just putting out here. I think we just had a big meeting. Of, of really the thought leaders and political leaders in Washington around this idea got some real direction from them and uh, and Katie as has a white paper that's going to be coming out here I think probably in the next few weeks and maybe you could interview her uh, around that paper when it comes out.'d we love to have that conversation and I think I think your listeners would really find that interesting. but again it's it's the concept is, If we can create a broad-based coalition of of buyers of care, of employers, of pharmacy associations, of primary care associations, um, of provider organizations, uh, for example, Kaiser is is, is active in this um, because we all see the importance of doing that. But I think some of these other elements, driving payment change, for example, is going to be key to this. Driving scope of practice is going to be key to this. And in order to drive scope of practice, driving payment change is going to be key to this. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And and it sounds like you have been really thoughtful in the people that you've invited and, and engaged to be members um, because, yeah, I, th- I think for a long time, we've, you know, pharmacists have, we do have a lot of different associations uh, to represent all of the different roles. There are so many different roles that pharmacists play. Uh, which is amazing, but um, having that multi stakeholder approach um, with pharmaceutical companies, with um, payers, with big systems, with physicians, um, policymakers, uh, I think is just such the right um, group. And you've already had such great success, uh, clearly, with the patient centered medical home uh, movement that you were able to advance. Uh, and get started. Well, um, for our listeners, uh, we'll definitely be on the lookout for the white paper. Um, but how can how can people uh, find out about GTMRX and uh, make sure that they're staying on top of some of the great work that you guys are doing there?
1: Well, that's going to be really simple. Um, just Google Get the Medication Right, and there is a bunch of information out there. We would love to have you engage. We have work groups that we would love to have your listeners become part of. Um, absolutely. There's a huge role you can play um, at your community level. Taking it back to the community level, as we wrap up, uh, I was just recently in, in Ohio again, probably a few weeks before. I'm on the board of, uh, of Ohio University uh, School of, of Medicine, and I was there, and, and I was talking to, to, to uh, some of the folks there that had done a study, um, that was published, and 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 with with 220 pharmacist uh, inter, interventions um, around uh, around medication management, we saw over 150 thousand dollars in cost avoidance, and we saw a significant improvement in A1C. But what was really really um, important was the number of medications that were taken away. <laughs> Um, in the polypharmacy, yes, you know, I mean, it's, not just, it's mm-hmm. not just dispensing and taking medicine; it's taking the wrong medicine, um, and mm-hmm. and and we noted a forty percent improvement in medication dosing dosage for patients with chronic renal, ch- chronic kidney disease. I mean, you know, oh, wow. I mean, forty percent uh, of you know those folks who were on medication for chronic renal disease. Um, had their medication improved by the intervention of, you know, of, of 220 pharmacists. Um, I mean, that's mm-hmm. phenomenal, I think.
0: Yeah. And having that pharmacist to do that, medication management is so important. They can look at, you know, are, are patients on medicines for the side effects for another medicine? Or mm-hmm. um, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe the patient is uh, going to a couple of different, physicians and maybe they didn't have their list and somehow they, um, got on some kind of duplicate therapy or something. So love that example. I think that, uh, you all are providing such great value and, um, advancing the conversation. Um, so it was just such a pleasure to have you as a guest, Dr. Grundy on the talk to your pharmacist podcast.
1: Well, thank you very much. and And together, let's continue to try to educate um, the public and educate our clinical pharmacists and our pharmacists that are so important to us around getting the medication right. it's It's immensely important.
0: Absolutely. Thank you again. Thanks for listening to this episode and share this podcast with your favorite pharmacist, coworker, or colleague so that we can help even more pharmacists and others know about the importance of getting the meds right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, Let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening.